Hear the word of the Lord. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in their years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to their custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will, bring back to, will, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time for service was completed, he returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he was shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with the child with child, and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will, have, will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, shadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she was said to be barren. Is she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month? For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. 
Blessed is she who has believed that was that that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. This is the word of the Lord. Hope some of you got to come to the movie on on Tuesday. Um, we showed uh, Frosty first, Rudolph second. After Rudolph was over, everyone just got kind of got up and left, so we didn't get to see show Santa Claus. But I'm sure. Most of you already know the story pretty well. I must, I've seen it every year I've been alive, I believe. Um, so it's, uh, well, maybe not every year. Okay, but I've seen it a lot, just like many of you have, and you know the story very well. So I don't have to tell you the story of Santa Claus, right? Yeah, I got it, right? Okay, I'll take that as a yes. Um, Luke, first chapter here. Um, Hope you guys can come Tuesday as well as we show another group of movies every Tuesday at starting at 530, more of a children's cartoon thing. And then at seven, more of a family uh, movie. Rudolph, Santa, Frosty, and of course, the namesake of the holiday itself, Jesus, are the shining icons of a surreal Christmas. They all come uh, with larger and brighter than real life ideals. It's the stuff that you suspend belief and allow yourself to kind of be taken away by the Christmas spirit to experience ironically, like, you know, holding your nose uh, so you can't get the smell and or, or taste the stench of this is too crazy to believe, to, to actually get a bite and feeling of those things that escape us, like peace and joy and generosity and goodwill and happy endings. To, to get a taste or, or go to a place where misfits and mistakes have a chance at, at being the hero of being loved by all, of being redeemed and contributing and belonging and important and changing and saving the world. Frosty and Rudolph and Santa and Jesus. Too good to be true. Frosty, a a snowman that comes to life because of the innocent belief and magic hack that some children put on his head. Rudolph, a reindeer, gets the lead spot in Santa's sleigh of reindeers because his nose glows red. Let's call it what it is. Because of this birth defect, he is used to save and redeem Christmas for the whole world. And Santa Claus... He's not doing the Atkins diet or the South Beach thing. But but this guy cares enough to be the parent for all the world. Providing for it like a loving father who cares to remember and watch you to even in that give toys and give switches. Gifts and or or a bag of coal, some people believe. And and, and he does so and he gives gifts of correction and gifts of grace and love that say, I see you and I know you. I see your behavior. I've seen your life. We like Santa Claus. And now before us today, the story of the birth and coming of Jesus Christ. 
who shares some of the basic storylines with his iconic Christmas cast members. Like Rudolph, he is a birth anomaly. And this birth irregularity, I mean, he's born of a virgin, gives him moral clearance to lead the human, humankind out of darkness. Like Frosty, he is an incarnation, the intangible character and nature of God come alive and in the flesh and moving around and talking. And like Santa, he is called a gift to the world. From a father who has not forgotten our daily lives and our existence. Jesus Christ, like the others, are not just for kids, but also a too-good-to-be-truth for grown boys and grown girls. His birth and coming addresses what we want and believe and feel to be true, especially this time of year, what we need to be true which is this, that there is redemption, that there is a transforming and changing for the better element somewhere that brings credence and worth to our world and our lives. You and I, we live for redemption. Illustrated, the redemption illustrated in these stories and their characters. Because, you see, deep down, We believe redemption exists. Look at our characters in the story. They are all, in the the Bible story here, they are all living and working for something, for change and betterment. We can start with Herod, who is mentioned here, that he believes in redemption in this way, that somehow by his rule, things will work to an end for the better, even if it's only in his own mind, good or better. That Zechariah is this priest and his wife, they're described as good and blameless and obedient to the law of God. And though they fail to do so, they desire to have children. And then we get the story of Joseph and Mary engaged to be married. They're all working and living and trying and pressing ahead and driven for what they do. They are looking too. In belief that what they do and how they play, whether ruling harshly or living religiously or getting married or falling in love or having children, somehow will make life and better and deeper and wider and more valuable. They believe in redemption like we do. Redemption is is that belief or the want to believe in something, that thing that gets us up in the morning. It's why you are involved in what you do, why you quit one job to go on to another, to try to eat and live better and work out because good or bad motives, you and I have reason to live. But more than that, that there is actually an end to our living, a reason for life, a cash-in, a payoff. Even if it's to make the world the way you 
think or, or to have it give you pleasure or give you more security or to, maybe your goal in life is to be at the top of the food chain or, or to make money or just live the American dream or to be greater than the next person or to make the next generation great. Maybe you're one of these people who feel like my call in life is to invest in children or the less fortunate. Maybe you're... You, you believe your calling is to make things clean. It, it, you believe in the hybrid engine. You, you want to make a more efficient and environmentally friendly world. Maybe you're called to be a, a justice freedom fighter. And, and you believe the economics need to be better balanced. Maybe you're an artist. You believe you're called to make the world more beautiful with your art. Here's the thing. We need redemption. We need to believe that there is an end to life worth cashing in this one for. That there's an end to life worth investing this one in. Or guess what? We will die or we will digress into animals or objects. See, it's how we have been created. Scripture teaches that we are made in the image of God. And we see this in each person in this narrative. Whether it's to rule like Herod or stand for and live by laws or to procreate or have relationships. Don't you know that all of these things are a God-given drive? A a God-given purpose for life? It's God-given dignity and it keeps the human race racing to an end. If even blindly or even if we're just living by cruise control. You know, this idea of redemption, this idea of working and living for something that that makes you, again, makes it worth getting up in the morning, it can't be erased from our created humanity. I watched this movie this past week. Someone online described it as a metaphysical trip. Um, And the name of the movie is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And, and don't be fooled, just because Jim Carrey's in it, he's not going to make the crazy faces if you hadn't seen it. Um, and, and so the movie goes this way. This guy falls in love with this woman, and, and they have hard times. And so the relationship gets real hard. So she goes to this doctor who can erase certain memories. And so her goal, instead of having to deal with breaking up and all the issues and moping and feeling bad, she goes to this doctor and he can take all the memories away. And so it's almost like you've never been in love with this person. And so you don't have to deal with it. And so he he goes and does the same thing. Once he realizes he goes to this woman, she doesn't know who he is. He's been dumped in some kind of weird way. She can't remember him. And, And what's funny about this movie is they can't erase The love that these two people have for each other, even though the memories are gone. That that little words beckon them back to something, some kind of feeling, some kind of drive for one another. It just can't be erased. Times like the Christmas season are like those words. They, They tease And they tantalize our belief and our need for redemption all the more with the music and the words and the movies that come on and all the events. People go around saying Merry Christmas and and we get giddy over movies like Frosty and Santa. I mean, come on, we dress in red pants. Craziness. It confirms in us. 
Yes, we may have lost intensity during the year, but that we are created to believe and live as if there is redemption somewhere, somehow. That there is a reason and end to being and doing and having bigger and better than us and for us. Bigger and better than the present life. But redemption, like we see in the stories of Christmas, are too good to be finally true and achieved by us. Because in and of ourselves, we lack the ability to fully and finally redeem our lives or find redemption in this life. Because we fail to be good enough to actually bring the redemption we want so badly. Whether it's lack of power or lack of strength or lack of resolve or lack of morality. I mean, look at the situation here with Zechariah in verse 5 through 7. In the time of Herod, the king of, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years and his wife are described as good, blameless, but not blameless and good enough to deserve to be pregnant. Not good enough or powerful enough or ingenious enough to make what they need and want to happen. Not only the pregnancy, but the world. Though he's such a good priest and she's a good pastor's wife, they're still under the rule of a pretty bad guy, Herod. If you look at the way the story reads, it starts with in the year where Herod was king. Under his oppression, people, pretty good people are living, but they're still under the yoke of his oppression. But not only that, look at what it, look what happens when redemption is offered and set before the people in his narrative. Look, look at verse 11 and 12. So uh, Zechariah is in the temple. Um, burning incense and uh, worshipers outside praying. And, and it says here in verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Okay, let's just stop right there. And then in the angel's visit to Mary, look with me at verse 26, what happens here. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting might this be? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Zechariah, whom from what we just read was a good man and he was doing good church work. I mean, look at him. Didn't, didn't he expect good to be done by him and, and towards him the angel appears and guess what he is afraid 
And then Mary actually gets this greeting. Greetings, the angel says, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And her response is still, I'm afraid. I wonder what that greeting means. Afraid. In the light of redemption, of offered good. And more strangely, people that we would consider as pretty good people are afraid of what is good. I mean, these are angels. And and they're coming with a message from God. Why are they so afraid? Didn't the angels say, greetings, I bring you good stuff. And she's still afraid because they know they aren't good. They know that they have sinned somewhere and somehow when somebody holy like an angel comes, they deserve some sort of judgment. Or or they feel like somewhere they've fallen short. That in the light of redemption, they see that they are not good enough for it. They don't feel like they're good enough to even play a part in it. I wonder how we would feel if our phones rang and we saw on the caller ID, IRS. We'd be like, man, get that phone. Woohoo, it's the IRS, yes. We'd immediately begin to think, "Uh uh-oh, what did we do wrong this time? How much do we owe? Or or if a helicopter were to come over your house and shine a light, you'd immediately think, oh no, what did we do wrong now? Nobody comes out and says, here I am, what's up guys? We begin to catalog what we have done because deep down we are guilty and faulty. And even the best of us are are not perfect in some way. Remember as children, or even now as adults, when you think, when, when I see Jesus and if I see Jesus, I have so many questions to ask him. And I thought about it. If the creator of the universe and you were in a room, I really wonder how many questions we would have to ask him. In full glory and glowing and all that stuff, I think we too would be afraid. He is not only the Lord, he is the judge of the earth. What is scripture getting at? That we are too alienated. From the moral goodness required to redeem ourselves, much less others in the world around us. That you and I are too filled with wrong motives and self-centeredness and even self-hatred to do good to and by ourselves, much less to and for someone else. We can't make the world better without some bad getting better. We can't gain wealth without fighting or giving in to greed. We can't seem to give without a benefit to ourselves, whether it's a tax break we're looking for, or maybe it's that good feeling to see that that person, when you give the gift, you're not really wanting to give it to them. You're really giving a gift to give to you. You know, that good feeling, man, they really like the gift I gave. There's never any pure redemption. We can't seem to generate enough Christmas cheer, y'all, to even stop this time of year from being one of the highest for break-ins and purse snatchings of jealousy, of depression, of a heightened sense of loneliness. And the irony of it all is we want things to be better and yet we can't do it. We're not good enough or powerful enough to do it. There will still be poverty. 
and fear and disappointment and greed and jealousy, even as people are opening gifts. You know you felt it, maybe more as a child when you felt it, and you open a gift and you got socks and somebody else got a car, a race car. Even Santa Claus is about naughty or nice. Not a little of both. If that's true, no one should or would get a present. You know, we almost have to qualify naughty or nice or Santa would stay home on Christmas Eve. And here's the sad thing about it. Santa isn't even good enough or powerful enough or nice enough to overcome your naughtiness for you so that you can get the gifts you want so badly. Here's the point. The results of people working in the world for good can't overcome all the evil that resides in our world. We've been unable to stop disasters, bad luck, if you will, abuses. There are simply ruined roads to redemption. There's dead ends like Zechariah. He can't have children. There's a dead womb. Redemption through childbearing is gone now. Like Herod there, a roadblock to the spiritual development of Israel. We don't have enough. We don't have what it takes to shift the sands, to change the spots on the world. We can't overcome the sins and issues of others, of problems others have even caused for themselves. What we need to change our world is too good to be true. Made true and lasting with our desires and drives and efforts for redemption. We all agree deep down we believe, deep down we want to believe that we need a hero. You know, we need a Frosty. We really believe we need a Santa or a Rudolph. We need a savior. We need someone to make us better, to make the holiday make sense, to give of themselves to make it better. We are called by these stories and most significantly by this scripture, this Christmas to look beyond ourselves, to look to a redeemer. Let's be honest what we're looking for. I'm talking about looking to a miracle. Look at what changes the lack of redemption in Zechariah's life. It's a miracle. He says it himself here in verse 18. The angel says, your wife is going to have a son. His name is going to be John. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to have the spirit of Elijah. And Zechariah says this to the angel. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. It's going to take a miracle, angel. I hear what you're saying, but I'm an old man. Things ain't working the way they used to. We're not going to have no children. How can this be? It's going to take a miracle. A move of God for redemption in his life. But this redemptive miracle is only an offshoot. Only a result of the miracle that we see in verse 29 through 37. Listen. What happens here? The angel comes. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondering what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. In other words, the angel's not come to shoot uh, a fire out his eyes and burn you. Uh, Verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. That means he's going to have a kingdom that is eternal. How would this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, how can I have children? I've never known a man. You guys get what I'm saying. I'm just being careful because I've been told by some parents, keep it PG. Okay. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Let me be the first to tell you, if you've not heard it before, Christmas, all this birth of Jesus is about a miracle. It, it, it is about one who is a miracle, a, a person coming to bring change for the better, giving hope and peace and joy and eventually forever for the whole earth, bringing redemption for all eternity. It's the stuff of comic books and cartoons about flying animals and living snow. And a fat delivery man that makes it to everyone's house in one night without payment. Jesus, whose name means salvation, is what our redemption, what we want to believe and live for and need so badly requires. A miracle. A too good to be truism. But unlike the creation of some cartoonists, Jesus is a miracle actually and truly manifested, actually come to life. Listen to how Luke starts this book. You don't have it here. It says here in verse one of Luke, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Fulfilled, happened, surely did. Just as they were handed down to us by those who are from the first were by those who are from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, this is who the letter is going to, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This miracle of redemption for humankind happened. That the miracle we needed and longed for, it was born. It became flesh. That it came into the history of our humanity. And then look at what God says here about this Redeemer. This substantive ideal of human redemption. Hear it again in verse 30. If you don't believe it, listen. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That that child born of the Virgin Mary will be connected to the eternal and unseen purposes of God. That he will be the son of an unseen God. That he will be the consummating agent of change from God to the earth. The idea of salvation comes alive. 
That the power and love and grace and forgiveness, the intangible purposes of God will be touchable and reaching and touching you and me. That not Santa Claus is coming to town, but that God has and is coming to town in the flesh. It's like a work of art. That the idea, you know, the vision of it, the the unbelievable, the unseen, the untouched. Maybe as an artist, you know, or a musician, you have the notes and the colors and the feeling you want to provoke in your head. I call it the, the creative thought, the creative idea. Yes, that's artistry and truth in the mind of the artist. But it's not completely art. Now, not art outside of some existential way. I, I, I know how y'all think. So it's not art for us until it gets on the canvas or is captured by the camera or shaped by the stuff. Now the canvas and the creative idea become art manifest, touchable and knowable and feelable and hearable and effectual, changing and calling people to experience it who can now see it and feel it and couldn't before. Jesus is the Christmas miracle of redemption manifested among us. Now the truth of God. The redemption of God and Jesus, it jumps out of the prototype. It jumps out of the ages of promise in the Old Testament. It jumps out of the invisible created hopes of us all and incarnate. Coming into the substance of our lives to infuse it with God, hope and power and promise. It is too good for us, but it's true. Jesus is the manifestation of the ideals from which you and I draw hope. And like Mary says in verse 38, because of we can proclaim and ask, may it be to me as you have said, Lord. God is calling and convincing the world the gift of Jesus of the gift of Jesus to let the power and miracle and salvation and life and world-changing mission of Jesus as promised, let it be so unto you in the substance and hopes of your lives to bring what you need and even desire but can't get for yourself. God is saying, let it bless you and change you and give your lives more meaning than they've ever had before. To make living and dying not be all there is. To give us a platform to ask the creator God for help. And get this, he will listen. To seek the God of heaven and earth for joy in our sadness and depression. And he will hear us and answer us. To actually seek God for forgiveness. To rescue us from the dark guilt that the lights of Christmas holiday have yet to make us honest about. And because this is true, you and I need not find and look for hope and redemption alone by drowning our lives once a year in the costume of having hope, the costume of giving, the costume of relationship and community, the costume of actually feeling like you're worth something, the costume of beauty, of a beautiful life of color, of lights and creativity. 
The miracle of Jesus coming to flesh calls us out of the farce of Christmas cover-up. Out of the trick and treat in green and red. A trick because it's only real for a minute that we are loved and love each other. But a fool's treat for it feels real, kind of like a dream where we have the subconscious realities of hope and peace and love and joy and gift giving visit us only to leave us awakening to a world and life that isn't any better for real or for sure. God has been better to us than we have been or can be to and for ourselves. That the miracle manifest and received by faith like a gift that you really believe is there and believe that it has your name on it and believe that it's given to you. So you open it up. Jesus is the gift of redemption. He is the miracle for humankind and in him there is no trick. But a treat of redemption of the opportunity and operation of joy and grace and forgiveness made to you and me. A offering of redeeming relationship between you and God and your world. He is truly the gift that keeps on giving. Giving us a reason to live. Giving us a reason to work. Giving us a reason to create and to survive and to laugh and to even cry and hope rightly when things don't work out or fail. To worship with an end that is too good to be true. Jesus. The truth of God manifests is truly good for you and for me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the redemption we seek has jumped off the page, jumped out of the promise, jumped out of the hopes, jumped even out of the prophecies and come truly for us in the flesh, saying that you're loved, you're cared for, that misfits have a chance at redemption and wholeness. Help us, Lord, this Christmas holiday, as our minds are tantalized by such thoughts, to look to the one who is true. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.